What are you waiting for? Get an ambulance! Please leave the room, darling. You know I like to bathe in private. <laughs> I didn't mean to kill her. <laughs> Okay? Okay. Take that easy. What are you trying to do, break my head? Say it. Yes, darling, completely. You're wasting your time and my time and the department's time. I left Margaret at home. Welcome to HedgePod, the podcast where we talk about cultural hegemony. Cultural hegemony is a uh, concept developed by uh, Antonio Gramsci, and it talks about the way that mass media reflects the ideology of the ruling class. And one of the aspects of uh, cultural hegemony is that uh, members of the proletariat will review the media that is put out there for their entertainment and, you know, kind of show other members of the proletariat how there is you know propaganda in that media either conscious or unconscious Uh, you know not everything that's produced is going to be as obvious as say for example a girl meets world episode where they say communism is communism and it's bad Uh, sometimes it can be a little more subtle than that Uh, and sometimes you can have a good message uh, that's in a a media work and uh i think that's kind of what we're going to be getting into today with colombo which is a show that i have been a fan of for years my mother actually got me into this if you can believe that and this was the last episode of the third season the third season is terrific the episode immediately previous to this episode has uh, johnny cash as the guest star and it's really good the first episode of the season also really good and i think it's the third season it has any old port in the storm which is considered by a lot of people to be the best columbo episode but this one a friend indeed is a close second for best columbo episode now i think this was for i think for you athena this was a new series so yes i'd really be interested to hear uh what you thought about it it was pretty good. I enjoyed it. This is my first detective crime document, not documentary, but a uh, crime show since I've had my eyes open for ACAB. So a bit interesting in that regard, but I definitely could see how a lot of the things that I grew up with and I enjoyed had inspiration from this show. Yep. Oh, I should probably mention too for... Uh, however many listeners we've got out there that uh, Jack is going to be off this week because he has a lot of uh, work and home stuff to get caught up on. And uh, so he's just taking kind of a mental health break for this week. Um, yeah. Anyway. And we're yeah. Nova and Athena. <laughs> yeah. So this is just Nova and Athena today. But I think we're going to have a good time. As I'm sure anybody can tell, I'm kind of crazy about Colombo here. I will watch the the whole because they're not very long seasons they're typically about eight episodes and they are you know the, the shows are you know hour and a half to two hours long thereabouts so i will just watch the seasons all the way through and then just watch them through again because it's great like background noise kind of yeah and i've got a whole <laughs> i've converted a whole bunch of people into fans of the show too now uh the interesting thing about Columbo, and I think this episode is probably one of the best demonstrations of that, is that Columbo is probably across. He, he is the only. He's like the only good cop out there, which is to also say the only good cops are fictional because they don't actually exist. Right. Exactly. But he is absolutely a good cop. The the targets that he has, you know, the, the murderers in the shows, and so. And again, the shows were written this way. The murderers are all wealthy, well-connected, powerful people. And one of the challenges that Columbo has to overcome in solving his cases is he has to go up against these powerful people and find a way to get around their privilege and bring them down regardless and have them face justice for their crimes. And I think that's the good thing and the bad thing about the show. And that's something that will come up in this episode that I will kind of get into more when we get to it. But the downside to the upside, I guess for this show is that it can give you the idea that a cop like this can exist or is even the norm. 
Yeah, that's kind of the problem with a lot of these sort of crime shows in general, though, is, first of all, they're crime shows, so they're mysteries, and a lot of people like mysteries. They're intriguing by nature. I mean, one of the oldest characters of literature, you know, Sherlock Holmes, and then you have, like, Agatha Christie in her books. Like, you know, the whole mystery on a train is iconic. Yeah. But it does lead to a lot of copaganda in that the whole good and bad apple situation. If we could just get rid of all the bad apples, then the good apples could do their jobs. Yeah. Now, something that's interesting about Columbo as a series is the way that the narrative is structured in them. And I'm, you probably noticed this. The way I've seen it described is most murders are a whodunit. Columbo murders are a how catch them. Because you find out at the start who did the murders and over the course of the episode, you get to see the ways that Columbo pieces it together and catches them. Yeah, this is one of the first medias to do this, right? Yeah, yeah, this was, uh, I mean, it was a pretty groundbreaking show in, I think, a lot of ways. Something interesting to know about Peter Falk, who played Columbo in this, he was actually uh, disabled. He lost uh, his eye as a child, and so one of his eyes was a glass eye. Oh. And now that kept him from being able to serve during World War II, which he signed up to try to do. And it gave him kind of the trademark squint that he had. And he was told that he would never be successful in Hollywood because he had that kind of lopsided squint. But it wound up becoming a defining trait of the character Columbo. And it became one of the things that you know people identified with most about him. Well... It's interesting, too, because when I was watching this and I was, you know, talking it over with my partner, they mentioned how they read a thing that the, the video game series Phoenix Wright actually took a lot of inspiration from this TV show, which I thought was interesting. But particularly the character Detective Dick Gumshoe, which is his name. Um, yep. Everyone's name is a pun, but he also mm -hmm. kind of has a bit of a squint going on. The difference between him and Columbo is he's not actually good at his job a whole lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's closer to the cops that actually exist. Yes. <laughs> Especially when it comes to solving important crimes. Now, not every Columbo episode has this, uh, but this episode has two murders, and there's actually a significant amount of time separating uh, the murders of the show. Like the episode previous to this, the Johnny Cash's character kills two people, but he kills them in a plane crash at the same time. So it's it happened sometimes where you'd have, you know, like one killer would do multiple murders or um, this is, I think, the only time where they had two killers. So what happens is the first guy, his name is Caldwell, has a fight with his wife and uh, winds up killing her kind of in an uh, act of, you know, spousal murder. But it's it's not premeditated at all he wasn't planning to do it and so he kind of freaks out and he calls his friend and it's not clear at first why he's calling this friend but you come to find out that the friend that he calls for help is the deputy commissioner of police and the this guy agrees to help uh caldwell cover up the murder and he does it because he's got kind of his own ulterior motive going there now, something that I noticed in this scene was, you know, the club that they leave unnamed is that it's a very, like, patriarchal kind of place. Yeah, it's like your cigar and whiskey club. I'll play it for $3,200, Mark. Unless you want to resign at $1,600. I have. I'm here. Byron, I think your dice are about to turn cold. <laughs> The army may have taught you bravery, Mark, but I'm not so sure about your judgment. Still need doubles to win. And sometimes a little boldness is exactly what's called for. Uh, Mark, excuse me. <laughs> hmm? Could I talk to you for a second? Yeah, with, you know, 
beautiful objectified women all over the place that are just there as decoration yeah it just dawned on me because like i remember when i first watched this and he went to go talk to mark who was his friend that he had this woman in this red dress with a lot of women in red dresses uh was leaning on him but i realized that he's married yep and he yeah i didn't catch that at the time because i didn't know i didn't quite piece that together because it was at the beginning Yep, both of them go to the club, both of them are married, and uh, the reason that Caldwell killed his wife is because she was having affairs, and they had a fight over that, but, you know, he gets to go to the club as much as he wants to. Yeah, I actually made a note of that, you know, like this, it doesn't dwell on it a whole lot, but it's uh, there's a lot of uh, undercurrents of the whole, you know, it's okay for men to go flirt and have affairs but women are not allowed to do that and not to say that having affairs in any case is a good thing but you know it's a violation of trust right you know if you got to get consent on that (laughs) yep now something that i thought was interesting too i'll probably leave it for when we get to it but they the way that they handled investigating the affairs the deputy commissioner uh halperin he tells his buddy caldwell to go to the bar and then halperin goes to the the house he pretends to be talking to uh caldwell on the phone while the caldwell's at the bar so that it seems to uh it makes it seem like he's getting an alibi like okay he's on the phone at this point he's talking to his wife at this point Janice, is that you? Are you in the bar? Yes, yes, that's right. Is everything all right? Everything's just fine. Now listen to me. She's going to bed early. She's not going to wait up for you. Do you understand? Yes, yes, darling. Of course, you must be exhausted. Get a good night's sleep, and I'll see you in the morning. Uh, Say it. All right, you get a good night's sleep, and uh, I'll see you in the morning, huh? All right, fine, Hugh. You're doing just fine. Now listen to me. You stay right there in the bar and don't move until the police contact you. Do you understand? Yes, yes, dear. Yes, perfectly. Yes, good night, darling. Oh, she's been out all day shopping. She's exhausted. Yes, sir. Yeah, she's getting ready for bed now. now. I guess I want her to have another one. And then it goes back to the commissioner going to his home to his wife. And they pretend he pretends that he saw an intruder outside at Caldwell's home because they're rich and they all live close to each other. Uh, yeah, it's Bel Air, isn't it? I think it is. Now, you know what's also interesting is that the club was probably like a community club, like a, they have a, a clubhouse at a golf course or something. Yeah, that'd make a lot of sense. I don't know a whole lot about it because that's beyond my knowledge. Yes, yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm a tiny plebeian. <laughs> Before our time, away from our place, and above our pay grade. Yes. Yeah. Darling, if you're embarrassed by all your millions, why don't you just sign them over to me? (laughs) They wouldn't embarrass me in the least. Money is a weapon, Mark. A tool to be used for good, if it's used properly. Mm, Properly, I see. That means handing it out like Halloween candy to a bunch of grifters who've never done a day's work in their life, huh? Because nobody has ever given them a chance. You know what it's like to be an ex-convict trying to find honest work? Margaret, please. Please, don't lecture me on ex-cons. I wrote that book. (sighs) Margaret. What is it? man. I just saw a man running from the Caldwell house. What? Yeah. All the lights are on over there. I don't like the looks of that. I don't see anyone. Uh, Do you think the man could have been Hugh? No, no. I left Hugh at the club. Yeah, so what the, he then goes and calls it in to the police that, you know, to, I guess, his underling is saying, you know, for them to send a squad car out. And then that squad car, you know, obviously discovers that Caldwell's wife is dead in the home there. And then that's the point at which we get introduced to Columbo. So that was interesting because the 
the second murder hasn't happened at this point, but they're laying the framework for it. There's that disagreement with uh, between Halperin and his wife over like how much money she donates to charity and things like that. Yeah, she seems kind of like a doll and doll. I cannot speak today. <laughs> a Dolly Parton type. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, still rich, but yeah. Trying, you know. trying her best, such as it is. Yeah. Now, trying to think what happens in, next in the order here. Well, he's looking at uh, looking for a cigar in the back of the commissioner's car. Yeah. Oh, and then they ex- uh, describe how like there's a there's been a criminal in the area. That's and, right. That's what I was trying to get. Is copying to the mo. Yeah, yeah, and you'd mentioned, and this was something I hadn't put together the, the times I'd watched it, but that the commissioner basically picks a specific like set of serial crimes, property crimes that were happening in the area that he has specific knowledge of, and then uses that to put the hallmarks of the, that crime at the crime scene, and then tries to finger that criminal for it. Yeah. And getting into that, you know, kind of return to patriarchy there, there's that comment by, like, a cop there who says, well, I guess I shouldn't sound so, you know, shocked that a cop is saying something appalling and sexist, but... Good-looking broad, except for the uh, marks around her neck. Good-looking broad, except for the marks around her neck. Yeah, because she was strangled by him. Yeah. And, yeah, it's like... it. It's weird, because, like, in a lot of, like, you know, these early cop detective things when they're like looking over the the body they'll they'll have commentary about they're like oh man it's such a shame because she's so pretty you know and things like that not not about her life or anything but like oh man what a interesting potential conquest we could have had here but well see uh, when you know they find an unattractive woman the cameras aren't even rolling so yeah pretty gross objectification there yeah. So the you know the following day, the commissioner gives this big stirring speech about law and order and having to keep all parts of the community safe. And the time frame when this came out too would have been like mid seventies, I think. So there was an awful lot of inner city turmoil and crime going on at this point, even in even in L.A. Hmm. Okay. Cause see, I thought it was weird. Cause uh, I mean, even still, like a rich area like Bel Air is not going to have a whole lot of burglaries. Well, uh, rich areas will typically have a lot of, like, property crimes, especially, like, rich areas, like, in upper middle class areas, too, like, suburb areas, because you don't want to steal from people who don't have anything worth taking, you know, you get more effort for the risk if you're, uh, go where the meat is, basically. They do tend to have better security systems, so I guess you got to try and find that happy medium. Yeah, I could have, I thought that there was, like, of course, it might be recent statistics of, like, a lot of, like, well-to-do areas don't have a whole lot of, like, break-in crimes. I know uh, around here it's all uh, vehicle crimes or it's, like, people break, uh, either taking stuff out of garages or breaking windows on cars and taking stuff out of cars. Yeah, that makes more sense to me because that's something yeah. you could hit and run a lot faster than someone, like, going to someone's jewelry box inside their bedroom up on the third floor. Yeah, and it really doesn't... Yeah, it seems like there's a lot of risk for return on that, but maybe that's why, you know, as we find out, the the guy who is actually doing the robberies tends to go in and out of jail a lot. Well, yes, because he's a career criminal. Yeah. More on that later. And he actually gets introduced at this point. He's making a rude gesture at the uh, commissioner on the TV that he's watching in a bar that he's at. I told you I have to wait for somebody here. Yeah, well, we better hurry up because you're not spending any afternoon in this place. I hate this place. And you know I hate this place. But I like it. Did you get the tickets yet? What tickets? What tickets? I told you we're going to the roller derby tonight. Hey, you crazy. I'm not going to any roller derby. <laughs> a month you've been out, a whole month, and you haven't taken me any place. You think you're going to hang around this place again with your old pals from prison? What's left of it? Guess again, Artie. Hey! This is my place of business. You don't have to come in here. So don't come in here! We're going out. That's what you think! With his, uh, I guess, grumpy wife that they're, they've got like a the argument thing going on with each other. Yeah, very strong. I hate my wife and I hate my husband. Uh, the Lockhorns, if... Uh, if uh, the the guy was Ron Jeremy, because this guy looks a lot like Ron Jeremy, and I don't have 
you know, firsthand knowledge one way or the other. But the way that the guy presents the bar that he's at, like that's where he goes to, I guess, find out about crimes or fence stolen loot or stuff like that. Yeah, it seemed like that's where he normally met his fence. Which, uh, for one, I don't know if that happens now. And I also don't know if that happened, you know, 30 years ago when the the show was made. Yeah, in my opinion, it really came off to me as a rich person's idea of how crime works. Yeah. It's like you, you get the, the career criminal who goes around and grabs the jewelry and they go back to their place and they use yeah. the jargon and put things under the table with this person dressed like <laughs> yep. a pimp. And he's kind of dressed like a pimp. Oh, fuck. You know what I just realized? I said this aired 30 years ago when this aired. It aired 50 years ago. I'm just very old. Oh, wow. It's older than yep. I thought it was. 1974. I thought it was like 80s. I don't know. Um, they had a couple of specials in mm. the 80s, uh, but for the most part, it was done by the uh, by the 70s. That definitely explains some things as far as like timing and the way it was filmed and whatnot. I thought it was kind of refreshing, though. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's a it's an old show, but it's a good show, I think. Uh, I will say it is really interesting to uh, do this show and I've also been listening to other people deep diving into other shows and whatnot. And, like, I'm starting to be able to separate my personal feelings with, like, about various things with the actual creation and makeup of the show, whether or not the show itself is actually good and well-made versus not. And I think that's pretty cool and interesting. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, you, the more you start to think about it, the more it kind of opens your mind up to the possibilities and... You kind of see things uh, different ways or multiple ways, which, yeah. Though it might cool. also be a huge fact that we went from watching Girl Meets Communism to this one. It's just night and day, not even the same ballpark. It's like, I don't know if you've ever done uh, Polar Bears, but <laughs> yeah. it's when you, you jump into, you know, a whole, I, I, I did this years ago, jumped into a hole cut in the ice in a lake and jumped out and then went like right into a sauna oh. after that. I've, I have done something similar, though. Yeah, that's that's what this yeah. was like. It was like, oh, my God, this is horrible and uncomfortable and unpleasant. Uh, and then you go to the other place, you're like, oh, this is much nicer. We're going to be talking about that episode for months. Yeah. But anyway. So, Overlord versus Girl Meets World, which is worse? Uh, I, I have no... I, let's just get back. <laughs> I will. Yeah. Check our Patreon to find out. <laughs> <laughs> so he's got one of the characters on the show is Columbo's car. It is a like old classic that is not in great condition. and <laughs> breaks down on. Oh, him so all this the is time. a recurring character, the car. Yeah, this is a recurring thing for him. Because like he's driving up to he's driving to see the commissioner's wife, correct? Yeah. Yeah. yeah and he actually because he talks to her and interviews her and that's when he finds out that you know the commissioner had presented it on tv as though he and his wife had witnessed you know the, the burglar murderer guy and you know could identify him and i think after colombo talks to the wife here the the wife of the commissioner and she tells him that she didn't actually see the guy but she saw you know her husband looking and, and her husband said that he saw it that's when colombo puts it together i think that the commissioner's laying the groundwork for his wife to get murdered by somebody because what when the commissioner goes out in public and says oh yeah me and my wife can identify him then that makes him and to a much greater extent his wife the target's for that killer so that he can't be then identified if he's you know killed everyone who can identify him it's hard for me to say because i got the impression that he thought something was fishy here but he didn't quite have it pinpointed at this point i think he got it i, I don't think he had it like fully pinpointed but i think that's when he first got suspicious of the commissioner mm. is when he talked to yeah. the commissioner's wife and she she said that she also i think is uh mentions here that uh they mention her name like once, so I apologize, but the wife of that that yeah. was murdered at the start that she was sleeping around. Uh, I feel crappy about this because like we're, you know, I can't remember their names I think either. Janice. It's hard to find them. I think her name was yeah. Janice. 
I think I wrote it down when they finally mentioned it once close to the end. The commissioner's wife was Margaret, and I think her her name, the uh, Caldwell's wife's name was uh, Janet. Janet? Okay. I, I was thinking it was Janice. I think so. It, Jan something. Something like that. It might also be They Janice. mentioned her name like three times in an hour and 38 minutes. Yeah. And she died. Curse of being the first dead one, I guess. Yeah, so pretty soon after that, it gets to... Uh, She's in the bathtub, and I noticed from your notes that you were jealous of the bathtub. (laughs) That's also the first thing that uh, my wife noticed when we were watching the show together is that that came which is i want that back yeah i don't want it like because ra- it's like up on these weird like raised platforms which i don't like that but like yeah that is a no because like you're gonna slip yeah and fall like, down. it is a nice like deep time. bathtub like you could like take a nap in there it just yep and you know it's a nice bathtub with a lot of soapy water in it and then the commissioner drowns and kills his wife yeah he does this for the inheritance yeah, because she has all of this money and she's giving it away philanthropically and uh, he is not, he doesn't like that. Now, the thing is, he's a, you know, a freaking deputy police commissioner. I would expect you, you're you making a comfortable amount there, even if you're not making heiress well, money. It's interesting because like, I made a note about this because it's like, it kind of, it's weird because there's a lot of these like detectives wearing suits and stuff like that. But like, because of like, this and like Columbo, you know, dressed the way he is. Unless it's like addressed in a different episode. But it it definitely came across to me that it's one of those like, oh man, you know, cop salary. You don't make enough. If only they made more, then Columbo could maybe get himself a new car and look better and whatnot. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think I get what you're saying there. It's kind of going to make the police who are watching this feel like they're getting ripped off. Yeah, because you always kind of hear about how like cops are like, oh, we never make enough money, even though they're the most like highest paid entity, second to the military, I think, in the United States. So, well, yep. minus politicians. And incredible retirement oh yeah totally i have a in-law very annoyed and jealous and they just think life is fine for everybody anyway but it it definitely because like i just i remember just growing up and constantly hearing like cops don't make enough money it's like how am i supposed to live off of this you know and yeah i feel like this just kind of reinforces that yeah i could definitely see that and that's for both of them right and yeah anytime you see anybody in the show from the police department who's not like a beat cop, a uniformed beat cop, they all look kind of disheveled and schlubby. Like even the guys in suits, you can kind of tell it's cheap suits. Now, as they're, as the police are there recovering her body, because he goes and like, he has Caldwell throw her body in the pool while he's arranged to have himself in a helicopter patrol of Bel Air. And so... He basically pretends to find the criminal while he's up in the helicopter. And then uh, they try, you know, they they're they're for somehow they're not able to, like, follow the guy as he runs off. Because you would think that's what would happen here is the helicopter pilot would, like, follow him. But anyway, so when and this is something I thought was really interesting in this show. And this was like the first time I saw this episode, this was the most surprising thing to me until the next thing that comes up in the show that also surprises me. Uh, but while all the police are there investigating the scene, a uh, African-American gentleman comes up and this is the guy who was going to be meeting, meeting up with Margaret for, to give her an award. And it's both a good, it's both a good thing and a bad thing because the, like, it's a very, it seems like a very stereotypically written character, but then they go and have the police, you know, immediately start harassing him and, you know, acting like they're afraid of him. That one cop says, you're making me nervous. And that's something that we've heard endlessly in the last 50 years. In my opinion, like he's, he's well-dressed and whatnot. Like it, it's, it's just, it's weird. Like how much it switches, like the cops don't treat anyone else like this. And they're immediately like, you know, because, you know, he, he he pops up and was like, what's going on? What happened to Margaret? She was supposed to come to get her award. And they're like, where were you? Are you like they, they immediately they're, they're like start dogs. pointing the finger at this black man who just happened, like just walked up onto the scene. And I think like the mo- most unrealistic version of this scene that plays out is that they don't arrest him at the end. Yep. And that's the thing, because like it shows 
all the other police there except for Columbo as racist fucks. Yeah. But then Columbo tells him, I just get his name and let him go. It's not him. And so it makes you think, oh, yeah, that's what could happen. And that's never what happens. Like, I, it's one of those things that it's like, it's such an accurate display of how these things normally happen, minus the actual booking that would have happened or shooting yep. that I almost wonder if some, if there was another intent and it just so happened to come across the way that it did. Like if maybe they were trying to be like, Oh, well of course they would act this way around a black person, but because they ended up portraying. But Columbo's so smart. He knows that it's a misdirection. Right. And, and maybe I'm doing yeah. someone a disservice and I apologize if someone intentionally wrote this to make the cops seem like the racist pigs that they are. But it's... We have an issue with this stuff now. So it's just so yeah. hard for me to believe that someone in Hollywood in the 70s intentionally wrote a scene to depict the cops like the racist pigs that they are. And once again, if someone did that and they listened to this, I'm sorry if I did you this disservice. I'm, you know, I'll go, I'll go ahead and, you know, say to their credit, I think they did intend to write the police as racists. That's shocking to me. And, you know, I think, I mean, it was, there was a very, it was a very uh, disruptive time in, you know, LA in the 60s and 70s. I mean, there's a very good chance that whoever wrote this could have been, you know, fighting against the police in riots back then that is true it's just so like i because i grew up with this shit so it's like yeah it's the kind of thing where you wouldn't you actually i don't think would see this on the air today because there would be so much conservative outrage that the uh colombo's gone woke and now it's presenting cops as racists Mm -hmm. yeah it's uh and i think i mean this whole episode i would be kind of surprised to see today uh, because of what comes later on in Columbo's interactions with uh, Artie, who's the the cat burglar. Yeah, so he goes, he investigates it, and this is when he gets the idea. Because of the way that she was, you know, thrown into the pool, he starts to wonder if there was something up with her system. So he goes to have the lab, uh, like, check her stomach out. Yeah, and this is this actually is what impressed me because you know I'm from. You know, I grew up in the early aughts with, like, you know... Well, I was a teenager during that time period. Well, whatever. And, you know, you had CSI and Criminal Minds and NCIS, you know, where the lab was, like, its own character. And it's like, you know, run these prints at the lab and tell me the make and number of this person we're looking for. You know, like, things that don't actually happen. So it's it was really right. interesting to me because, you know, he goes to the coroner and he's like can you tell me if there's chlorine or something in her, like, that she she died from drowning in the pool or not? And the coroner's like, well, no, because chlorine uh, doesn't stay in the system that long. And I'm not, like, an expert on this, but I do know that chlorine can dis- dissipate pretty quickly, you know, just in water and whatnot if you leave it out in the sun too long and whatnot. So that definitely seems believable to me. So that was really shocking. Yeah. They actually, that's uh, one of the interesting things about the Columbo is that they tend to like, it doesn't Columbo doesn't do everything in isolation and he will use uh, the lab. He'll, you know, they, they were asking about fingerprints in the house. This is one of the things that clues him in to her death being to uh, the first woman Janice's death being staged because there's no fingerprints on the phone that she had just used to call her husband at the club ostensibly and there's no fingerprints on the door to the closet that she would have got her uh, robe out of that she was in so he uses evidence you know he uses uh, specialized police departments when it's appropriate but they're also not treated as like magic fix-all devices either you instead see the different departments working together to achieve the goal instead of just one or the other being like the star of it like if you look at something like the sherlock show or any other shows where they're focused on just the detective or investigator alone you very rarely will see that where that person will go and be able to bring in other people and get. Oh, well, that's because Sherlock's an asshole and he has to do the lab work himself. Yeah. Like at least in that in Sherlock, it's kind of written intentionally that he's a bit of an asshole. Yeah. Oh yeah. 
Well, it's the more the way that like everything gets solved internal to that right. person. And, you know, they don't bring anybody else into it. Uh, but in this and in this episode too, Columbo, in addition to using the lab, uh, he cooperates with the robbery division uh, and he even cooperates with uh, Artie later on. So uh, one of the things that he does while he's working with the robbery division is he's, you know, because the deputy police commissioner to try to throw him off uh, has him go and investigate and look into all the potential criminals who could be the Bel Air cat burglar, which is who uh, the commissioner is trying to finger for it. And uh, so Columbo talks to the uh, robbery investigator. And this was a very inter interesting interaction because it, they kind of made it seem like the robbery investigator had some measure of, I guess, identification or empathy or something for the main characters that he kept an eye out for. Colombo, these guys are like old friends. Very placid and predictable types. Nah, what we're looking for is a younger guy. A guy with a violent temper. Let me ask you something. Leave out the last two murders. Just concentrate on the first three robberies. If you had your choice, which of these guys would you pick? That's easy. The guy on top, Artie Jessup. Artie's always my first choice when he's out on the streets, which isn't too often. Take a look for yourself. In and out of the joint since he was 20 years old. That's almost 30 years of state hospitality, give or take a few vacations on the outside. You know, I think old Artie prefers prison life. It's very nervous out here with us civilians. What about the M.O.? It fits a lot of guys, including Artie. We already talked to him. Can't hold him. Why not? Colombo, you said forget about the murders, right? Artie has an alibi for boat nights. Yeah... I don't know if I really got that, because it kind of reminded me of the same, like, oh, I mean, because it, it all kind of falls into that whole, like, career criminal stuff, and, like, it reminds me of, like, leftover stuff from, like, you know, your your L.A. noir crime stuff, where it's like, the these people are in and out of crime so much that the detectives and whatnot have, like, a relationship with them. I don't know if sympathy is the right word. You know, it's is you. It's interesting that you bring it up to uh, L.A. Noir because something that they touch on uh, between Artie, between his fence, uh, between the robbery investigator, is it's a theme that keeps coming up. How the old crew that he came up with, so you know, back a few decades before this, which would have been the Noir period, basically, <laughs> but you know, back then the way of doing things that Artie had was a lot more common and the, the old people that he kind of came up with, you know, they aren't around anymore. That's not the way that things are done anymore. So I think it's kind of interesting that it gets to that, that it kind of shows, you know, that transitional period of uh, criminals where it's not, like, they're not thought of as being the personalities that they were before. And they're starting, kind of going into more of like a, undifferentiated mass of like crime itself but I guess. see that's interesting because like in my opinion that's always just been more of a portrayal in hollywood um you know i was watching a lot of old history because there's that new special they've got out where it's uh like old history videos colorized and the gangsters of like chicago and uh, they were active in you know las vegas and in la and uh you know obviously new york boston they had some wild names and some wild personalities yeah but i wasn't really talking about the gangsters though i was talking about like your individual thieves and like him like the cat burglar oh i gotcha that i mean i don't know if that was ever a thing or not stuff like that tends to be such a big media creation yeah because it's so. kind of like you know you're like we we all love the robin hoods the um oh what's his name De, uh, De Blanc's character, yeah. Arson, and all that. So we, you, you really like the gentleman thief and stuff, but it's not a thing. Like, I think there's, like, a couple of really weird cases IRL, but, like, for the most part, it's just fiction. Yeah. So within the context of the fictional characters and, I guess, fictional crime scene, and, you know, it was 50 years ago, so, yeah, who knows... Uh, Probably was never like that, though. But something that they talk about is that the jewelry that had been taken from uh, Janice's, I guess, boudoir was not it was fake jewelry. Basically, it was uh, glass. And 
so Colombo pieces together that the the cat the Bel Air burglar would know real gems from fake gems and so would never have bothered to steal the fake gems. Uh, and so that's where he starts to put it together that it wasn't actually the career criminal who had done the murders. Cop, I must be getting old. I'm not from robbery. I'm from homicide. I'm investigating the killing of those two women in Bel Air. Oh, no. Oh, no. You're not going to hang that one on me. No way. No way. Where's my jacket? You want to book me? Go ahead, book me. Where's my jacket? You had nothing to do with it. Then what are you here for? I had nothing to do with it. You want to know what I'm here for? Yeah. Give me this. Sit down. I don't want to sit down. May I sit down? Go ahead. You had nothing to do with it. Now, the guys down at the robbery detail, they can't identify the burglar that committed those two murders. That's what I'm here for. I can't help you. Yeah, I haven't heard anything. Nothing. You're sure? You know, I'm afraid of Siamese cats. One meow, I'm out the door with my pockets empty. Oh, look, Lieutenant, that guy who killed those women, he scares me. I mean, he really scares me. Look, I'm a professional. We both know that, right? Otherwise, you wouldn't be down here. And that guy who killed those women, he gives guys like me a bad name. Right. Look, Lieutenant, if I knew who that guy was, you think I wouldn't have called you guys a long time ago? Right. Huh? Listen, would you rob a thing like this? Are you kidding? They laughed me off the cell block. All right, listen to me, honey. I got a problem. You can help me. Me? I think I know who killed those two women, but I can't prove it. And you can tell that Columbo absolutely doesn't care that the guy's a thief. Oh, no. Like the only he the only thing that he's got eyes for is homicide. And he is perfectly happy to be like, oh, hey, you know, this guy is trying. The commissioner's trying to frame you for this murder. So I'm going to work with you, the career criminal who's been in and out of jail to take down the deputy police commissioner. Well, I think this is as good as time to bring it up as any, but like a lot of these shows, because like I now it it has a lot of problems, and it I have a very weird relationship with it. But like I always kind of enjoyed Monk, and you have that show, but you also have other shows where I mean even Sherlock, like the person is a bit kind of neurodivergent, you know? Like I mean if they're if they're not downright stated to be in some way, then. They have, they're very coded to be, you know, they're very odd. Yep, I gotcha. And it's something that I've noticed with these, these cop shows because, and it's very interesting to me because it, it kind of wraps up a lot of different, like, hegemony and stuff with cops. Because first off, you have, like, the competent with the incompetent cops. Like, there, there's always these, like, hierarchies and these, like, TV shows and whatnot, like, you have the really good, competent cops, and then you have, like, the underlings who, like, of course, they're never going to be up on the top because they're, yeah. you know, they're stupid. They don't, they can't, you know, so it... Boondock Saints had a really good example of this uh, archetype. Yeah, and, you know, so you have that because, you know, he he's the competent cop, but at the same time, though, he, you know, he and a lot of these other people in these shows being neurodivergent, they're normally the type of person who would be targeted by cops and killed almost immediately because they're not acting quote-unquote normal or they're acting in a way that would be deemed suspicious and would just by existing would immediately like make all of the cops uncomfortable and yep. what have you. So it, it also goes to the whole thing of like the deviation from the norm will be punished unless it's exploitable. Yep. And I, I think, like, you really get that from these cop shows, because in if these people were not cops, if they were not useful, they would... They'd be in They danger. would be in danger, and they would be immediately discarded. And what's interesting is, uh, I'm, I don't think, well, I don't know if Columbo has an episode like this, but a lot of them have episodes where the person is so quirky that someone wants to get rid of them. 
And it's not necessarily because they're the bad guy. Well, I mean, they are because they're cops. But in the framing of the show, they're not the typical bad guy. It's just they want them gone because they're different. Which is weird because then it's framed as a bad thing. So, I... It's it's always like a lot of weird mixed messaging to me from from these cop shows. It's it's very interesting to see what these shows try to do sometimes to try and keep the cognitive dissonance alive. Yep. Yeah. yeah, it's I'm trying to think if they ever have an episode like that. I think they might. Uh, and they do have a few episodes too where uh the person he's going after is actually almost as smart as he is. Oh, yeah, the Mortiarty type. Yeah. Yeah, you can... S- and there's a couple of those, You too. can see some, like, Sherlock-type stuff in it. Yeah. Uh, I thought it was funny how the deputy uh, police commissioner looks like a villain directly out of Central Casting. Yeah. I actually was thinking that. I was I saw him, and I was like, he reminds me of someone. And I thought, like, it was, like, a specific actor. But, no, it's just he's playing that character. <laughs> Yeah, reminds me of the master from uh, Doctor Who. Yes. The, that cla- the classic old school one that had a very sinister goatee as well. It's always the goatees. <laughs> yep, you, just, you can't trust them. Sorry for those listening who might have a goatee. <laughs> you must immediately shave them into a Stalin mustache. I don't make the rules. Oh no. <laughs> Be careful doing that depending on where you live. <laughs> <laughs> so... Uh, I know at some point here, I can't remember where it is, but the he go uh, Columbo goes and talks to Janice's boyfriends, and I thought that was uh, an interesting touch that they put yeah, in. Yeah, it's there. after the jewelry, I think. Yeah, and I can't remember what he talked about because I know the one he talks to is like a car salesman, and that was pretty funny. Yeah, the the it, it cracked me up like as he's driving out from the from the lot, he's still trying to make that sell. <laughs> he, yeah. He's coming there to. Uh, talk about the mistress that you've been seeing you know and it's like gotta gotta make gotta make that sell (laughs) yeah and always be closing and you know if you've ever been on a car lot it's not off the mark no no would not yeah so what happens so ultimately in the way that it kind of gets uh, starts to get resolved near the end is uh you know colombo meets up talks with Artie, who's the the burglar you know they do all the discussion about the the jewelry and colombo's like yeah i know you're definitely not the one who did him and so then he goes and gets the guy to help him set up caldwell first and so Artie contacts caldwell and says that you know he knew he knows he's got an alibi for where he was he knows what caldwell did and he'll only keep his mouth shut if he gets blackmailed so then caldwell tries to work together with the commissioner commissioner halperin to catch Artie and to like frame him for it and what happens is columbo's got all these folders on the criminals that he got from uh the the you know robbery investigator and he's got he's got all these folders arranged on his desk and he switches out the address that's in there for Artie with the address of an apartment that he just rented. Uh, I guess just for the purpose of this, because if you're going to go after your boss, you may as well go big, right? Yeah. So the commissioner plants the jewels in that apartment and then uh, they go to arrest Artie at the, at the bar when he goes to meet their meet Caldwell there. And so when they, arrest him then they go to the apartment that he was at because that's where you know they're going to go search it to find out if he had any of the stolen goods there and uh that's where when the commissioner obviously finds the stuff eventually because he put it there and then columbo springs the trap at that point yeah this was phoenix right this is when the turnabout music starts playing yep he wags his finger ah i need to play phoenix right again it's so good (laughs) it's such a good series I got stuck around, I think, like the third chapter or something and got frustrated. Yeah, that one's not the best one. Kind of a filler episode. Yeah. I think I lost track of where I was. And so it's kind of like with Final Fantasy where, like, you then when you try to get back into it, you have no idea what's going on. It just doesn't work. I've I've beaten it, like, several times. (laughs) Oh, and the new one. I I need to play it again. Anyway, yeah, so back to this. You know, Columbo says, well, you know, the only person who could have possibly known what this address was, nobody else knows. 
because I signed the lease on it, you know, just a little bit ago. You're the only person who could know this because you were the one who was looking at the folder on my desk. And that's when, uh, you know, that that's when he knows he's got and the robbery guy and Artie leave. And then, you know, the, the commissioner leaves, Columbo leaves, he gets arrested. Something that I wondered about after this, because it never gets addressed in the show itself is what happened to Artie after that? Because he had also done a whole bunch of burglaries in a rich neighborhood. Well, IRL, he would have gotten locked up immediately. Yeah, IRL, he would have just been, you know, convicted of the crime of murdering two women as well as all the burglaries. IRL, while they were leaving with the commissioner, they would have took him out back and shot. Actually, then they would have just probably just said like, oh, well, let the commissioner free. And then the commissioner would have went out back and shot him. Yeah. Oh, and speaking of which, um, when they go to, um, a, like, uh, do the sting on Artie when, yeah. before they spring the other trap. Yeah. The, the stage one of the trap, yeah, the pre-trap. The cops pull their guns out in that bar, and yep. they're just all pointing them willy-nilly. And, like, Artie's not armed, and I, I think that's interesting, too, because I think it plays on to... Because you see it a lot in these propaganda pieces, and guess what? You're seeing it in uh, real life, too. Not like it's probably not anything new. But because of that kind of shit, that's how you got that 14 little girl murdered the other yep. day. Like, like you, you can't just... There, and I remember, like, uh, during the riots, you know, someone showed the, the video of how there was the shootout on the freeway and the the person who was they were shooting at was like behind a bunch of civilian vehicles with people yep, in them. I remember that. Like it's it's just asinine. incredibly dangerous and irresponsible. The amount of times like cops will just shoot randomly into crowds. It's amazing that we don't have nearly as many of a body count that we do. Well, you know, they're also terrible shots. So. Oh well, yeah, I guess it is stormtrooper. <laughs> Probably going low, going high a lot. So, but but yeah, it's. And so that's the, like, it's a good, the episodes, it's good that they show the problems with police. It's bad that they make you think that there are honest cops out there that are competent, that are trying to do their job and wouldn't just immediately, they, they wouldn't have to fight over, are you going to arrest the uh, habitual criminal or are you going to arrest the black guy? Yeah, and it should be pointed out too that because there's the career criminals, you have to have the career criminal getters with aka the cops yep Yep. and that's that's another thing too like it's good that they present Artie as you know a character who like he's not a murderer he's just he's somebody who just likes to steal and that's the way of life that he has he's not evil for it because it's like it, it, it humanizes him but it also creates the impression that there are that many people out there who they just like stealing yeah, and I think, like, I, I kind of just realized, like, we keep saying career criminal, but I don't think we've ever really, like, talked about it. But, you know, if you if you do any sort of type of prison abolition, if you try to broach that topic at all, you're yeah. the first thing you will always run against is the career criminals. That, yeah. And this it's this right-wing talking point, this idea that there are these people whose entire lives, they're career if you will is to be in prison it, it because prison is such a great place to be look up the yeah. terrible prison conditions it will you will be disgusted you will probably vomit just looking at the food they have to eat but and so it's this idea that there's these people who make a living out of getting out of prison and going around and stealing until they get sent back into prison and that's that's what they do and it's there's no money in that no it's really not. But, of course, part of the argument for that is that it's like, oh, well, they want to be in prison because prison's so nice, you know? So not only is it an anti-prison abolition talking point, it's also yep. a talking point into why we, we need, like, more strict prisons. Yep. Because, you know, if they didn't want to go back, then we wouldn't have these career criminals. So... Yeah, and it's... I mean, what actually happens a lot of the time is, you know, you get pumped through the school to prison pipeline early in life you know you start to build up that record and you know face more and more severe sanctions and then 
you get sent to jail and it just destroys you as a person and you don't have like they don't do anything to train people they don't do anything to socialize people and you know any animal that you keep in a cage is going to go crazy Mm -hmm. that quote it's that thing um if you treat someone like an animal they're going to start thinking and acting like one or something like that Yep, and it's not like they're not turning into animals. They are being traumatized. Right. You know, they, they're having damage done to them by the system. And and on top of that, when you get out, there's such a stigma around prison that it, you know, turns you into a criminal that it's really hard for ex-cons to get work once they get out of prison. And so the only thing that you can do to get money, because you need money to survive in a capitalist society, so... They turn to crime, a lot of crimes of opportunity, a lot of property crimes to make the money that you need to survive. Not because you like to steal, but because you got to live. Yeah. And it's like prison is meant to be a scare tactic and it's meant to provide slavery because the the third, I think it's the 13th Amendment states that you can have slavery if they're in prison. So it's not about helping people it's not about rehabilitation it's that's not what our prisons are about they are about critical just authoritarian abuse honestly and i think philosophy too even though you know they're british but still it's the same sort of rhetoric it's the same sort of thought process they had a very good video on capital punishment that i would suggest yep so that's the, I mean, that's, I think, one of the probably the worst bit of uh, hegemony that you've got in this show and this episode is is the viewpoint that it had. And it's, you know, it's again, it's so bizarre because they make the criminal a sympathetic character, but also make him the eternal criminal. And that's, you know, the propaganda, basically. Well, this entire show is, is very interesting because it has a lot of that double-edged sword. Because, like, on, on yeah. one hand, there's some of the stuff that, you know, they're you know, portraying the cops as racist, sexist assholes. But on the other hand, hey, if we have the good apples, then all we got to do is, how many bad apples do we got to get rid of? At what point do we start saying, like, maybe the tree is bad? Yeah. But, you know, so, and and a lot of these shows in general, um, except some of them are just, are going to be more filled with propaganda than others. CSI is horrendous. Um, with its propaganda. Oh, some of the things I've, like... I, I was never really into that one, but my parents were. And I've, I've walked into some things, and I just sat there. Some of the shit that comes out of that show is just... What? Like, oh, the the amount of Islamophobia after 9-11 in these shows. Woo! Yeah, I used to watch uh, NCIS back in the day because I was a uh, lonely little nerd in the... Uh, crime lab lady abby was hot and that's the only one of those early aughts crime shows i ever watched and even there yeah the the shit that went on in shows like that after 9-11 is just ridiculous and you know it's what 21 years on now close mm-hmm. to it this year oh they've just gone so, downhill yeah so there, there's probably going to be People listening to this who can't remember a time when TV shows weren't shitty to Muslims. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I watched a lot of Criminal Minds and Monk. Those those were the two big ones that I watched on purpose. Uh, my mom watched a lot of Bones, um, and they watched a lot of CSI, and that... Law and Order. They watched a lot of Law and Order. That one's also... Woo! Uh, oh, yeah. uh, we're going to have to cover that one eventually. Oof. But we, we could... There's a bunch of them, right? And yep. a lot a lot of them have these, like, issues, right? Like, a lot of them, like, they're, they're trying to be, like, just potato chip level entertainment, right? Like, you're not supposed to take too much out of it on the surface. Uh, and it's just supposed to be, you know, cheap, messy fun, right? Like, that that's that's kind of the idea that you're, you're given from it. But... There's a lot of hegemony in there and a lot of things that can twist you around. Yeah. Yeah. So I think the, as a propaganda show goes, Columbo, I think was probably the best, certainly the, the best, I think best written, most entertaining. And also 
with the most good messages peppered in with the bad messages. Yeah, I'll give you that. Because it does, it does, you entertain the possibility from this that, yeah, the police system could actually be corrupted. You know, if it wasn't for this one guy there, who's obviously a very unusual guy on the entire police force, if it wasn't for him, then the police officer who was a murderer would have framed somebody who's innocent. So it puts that idea out there, but then, it, yeah, it, then it comes back to Columbo again. But, you know, the other shows wouldn't even put that out there. If they did, it would be like a traitor in the department kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, it it's definitely has shifted more to the whole bad apple, good apple mentality. Good cop, bad cop, that shit. Yeah. And that's when they don't just have, you know, justifications written in for the bad cops either. Mm-hmm. But always we'll remember, ACAB means ACAB. Yep. Sorry, that includes Paw Patrol. <laughs> definitely includes Paw Patrol. So, all right. Well, on that note, I think uh, we can probably wrap it up for this week. Mm-hmm. Do we want to do pluggables? Let's see. Support your local strike movement, whether it's teachers or Starbucks workers or... Oh, uh, big news today. The Amazon uh, warehouse that had that really, really, really illegally jacked up uh, union election that Amazon interfered with. They are going to have a revote. They were, you know, the uh, labor board found that the Amazon had broken the rules. And so they're actually going to get to uh, vote again to unionize. And I don't imagine that conditions have been improved in the interim uh, after that first vote. So I don't think uh, I and certainly conditions for everybody else have not improved. So I would not be surprised if uh, that uh, union vote winds up working and we could wind up seeing uh, Amazon warehouses following the lead of the Starbucks and being, you know, a big place that gets unionized. I actually have a buddy who works at a warehouse for a uh, big uh, chain store here in Ohio and lots of traffic like that comes through Ohio. It's a big warehouse state because it's at a you know confluence of a lot of big roads. So uh, Walmart, Target, Amazon, lots of other places, uh, the limited, they have their warehouses here. And I don't think any of those warehouses are unionized right now. Um, but they are all offering really competitive uh, pay and benefit schedules with each other because with the workforce as limited as it is right now, warehouses still needing to be very active and all these warehouses together in one place, they're all competing against each other for wages. So right now there's not a big union movement, but if one warehouse was to fall, then the other warehouses would probably unionize by way of competing with them. And remember, even if you feel like things are going good, union, just get together. It'll be because they're taking advantage of you somehow, some way. I mean, just I mean, the very nature of the system does that. So always work to build communities and strengthen each other through community. If you got a disagreement with your boss, you can tell it to your union steward and file a grievance and have it go through the grievance process instead of having to have a argument with your boss on the shop floor. That alone would probably be a good reason for a lot mm -hmm. of people to go with it because I know I wouldn't want to have to try to have that discussion. Much prefer to have the union there on at my back. Uh, other pluggables, now that we've talked about unions a whole bunch because unions are awesome, uh, we have a Patreon set up now, uh, patreon.com slash H-E-G-E-P-O-D. Uh, we are also on Twitter at H-E-G-E-P-O-D. Uh, if you want to sign up for our Patreon, we're going to put the notes that we work on before uh, we record a podcast episode. We're going to put post those notes up to the Patreon. Uh, and then we'll probably also have something in the future for sitting in and like listening to us while we're recording because we're in a Discord room uh, when we do this. So we could have people... Uh, with, you know, just mics disabled and they're able to listen to the uh, raw process itself. And then uh, you'd be able to listen to the finished podcast and uh, judge for yourself how mildly we edit things to <laughs> <laughs> how 
barely semi-professional we are still. Man, they pause a lot. <laughs> it doesn't seem like they pause this much when it airs. There's no just like several seconds of dead silence. We, we all have hard days all the time. We have several minutes to collect our thoughts between yes. talking each time. Look at my notes, try and figure out where I'm at on this list. Oh yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. So, all right. Well, on that, I think we are good. And uh, I'm, I don't think we know yet what we're going to watch next week. Um, we've got, I think, eight more ideas lined up. And I'm sure plenty of uh, good ones in there to choose from. Now that we've had a palate cleanser episode, we can switch back to a painful oh, one. And also, feel free to shoot us suggestions if you want to. Oh, yeah. Suggestions. Um, you no can anime. Us. No <laughs> <Never> anime. <again. laughs> <laughs> we we have covered everything we need to on that one. <laughs> Thank you very oh, much. Yeah. Uh, we'll probably if you've do got it again anything someday. you want to uh, you want us to look at, uh, send us an email at h e g e p o d at gmail dot com. So just h e g e p o d across a variety of platforms, and hey, maybe leave us a review too if you feel like that. All right, and with that, goodbye. Bye. No, she had to have drowned before six, maybe even before five. Otherwise, I wouldn't have been that dry. Long before Jessup got there. As a matter of fact, just about the time that you came home for supper. Listen, I believe you killed your wife. And I believe you either killed Janice Caldwell or you're covering up for it. You just lost your badge, my friend. <laughs>